After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? 
guys. Happy Tuesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome Guide Programming Alert. This podcast is now going to come out every Tuesday and Friday. No more Wednesdays. This way, I can get you guys the news of the weekend a day earlier. So make sure you're following the show and that you get all of the episodes that will come straight to your podcast feeds coming up on today's program. I'm going to recap the Wrestling World Championships and I'll state my case for Hazmat Chamaya fighting at 185 pounds. But before we get to that, I want to dive into some major news that came out on Sunday. Jose Aldo, out of the UFC, Jose Aldo retired. Both these headlines are going around. I mean, this is standardly the moment where I would take a moment to thank a guy for the memories and to thank him for a career. That's generally what I would do. Particularly if an icon, an idol, like Jose Aldo, called it a career. But there's two different headlines out there, guys. I read a headline that Jose Aldo has retired. I then read a headline that he was released from the UFC. Now, let me explain why there's some confusion here. It appeared as though Jose Aldo had retired in the ring during his last fight. He stayed on his knees. He had a moment. We've also been very clear. Aldo has spoke to us very clearly to tell us he is on one final championship run. So when he lost that fight, that run is now done. Which would mean, why are you here? A question he'd have to ask himself. Why am I here? Why am I still doing this? Cutting down to 135 pounds. I mean, it is a lifestyle change. The commitments that Jose made. Why am I still doing it? So it would appear as though he was going to tell us that he was done. Now, his coach, Andre Pettineris, spoke about this. And he was very polite to say, yeah, I've, I've got no problem with it. I've actually wanted him to be done for a while. Wanted him to be done back when he was on top. I felt as though he had enough fights. Call it good. So we, we never got a real clarity. And then it comes out that Jose is retired in conjunction with a different website's headline that he's been released. Well, if you read the stories on both, they at least told it the same way, which is Jose's team worked with the UFC to grant him a release. But a release is very different. It really is. Because that gives you an opportunity to go and take your skills somewhere else. Boxing seems to be the thing everybody's talking about. There is not these big paydays and this big money box. I mean, j- just so you understand, <clears throat> like those examples are out there and your highest paydays did come for bucks. Like there, there's a reason that those uh, stories exist, but that's, please stop doing that. Jose will make more doing MMA. I could also see where the UFC would be very fast to agree and work with him. You have a guy that not everybody can beat. You, you have a guy on any given day is going to take out one of your young buck up-and-comers. For sure. For sure. You go give Jose five fights. He's going to win one of them. I mean, does anybody disagree with that? Guy might win them all. But you, I, you understand my point. You're not looking for older fighters. And you have an organization that is very, very disciplined on only having champions and contenders. If you're not one of those two, there's other places to go. But when you come here, champions and contenders, well, now you have a guy that people know. He's a household name. You've got a ton of respect for him. 
It's very clear that he can win fights. It's very clear that he's not going to be in a championship fight. What do you do? I mean, what would you do with him? If you were the promoter, what would you do? It's a very tough spot. And you're, when you're releasing the Overeems of the world and the Damian Mayas of the world, when you're doing that in front of everybody, you tend to be consistent. So if Jose's team was to go to the UFC and go, look, give us a release. I don't want tied up. And a release is a very big deal. You could fight out your contract. You're not released. Just so you understand. A release means right now, effective, immediately, I can go and begin other conversations and accept other offers should I choose. So there would be very good reason that the team would work with the UFC, but the, the UFC would also work back. Yes, of course. You don't have to tell us if you're retired. You don't have to tell us if you're ever going to do this again. We will all just agree that you're not going to do this here. So what does that look like for Jose? Does Jose go into boxing? I mean, really, I, I really, guys, I got to tell you, I am very compelled to just thank him for the memories. If anybody had a career that I would love to have emulated or to have the ability to pass to my son or somebody, I mean, it's Jose Aldo. I don't think there's a bigger compliment that I could give him. I'm just not convinced that we're having a retirement talk. A guy knowing when it's over, he will be the last one to know. He'll be the last one that recognizes and realizes the audience doesn't want to see me and promoters don't want to pay me. He will think he can come back. He will talk about coming back at some point in his life. And I don't mean Jose, I mean the fighter. He'll be removed for two years. He wasn't a main event when he left. He wasn't selling out arenas when he left and think that he could come back and do some uh, great night of business. That's okay. It's hard to know. Self-awareness is hard for all of us, right? We just see it more a lot of times with fighters. I bring that to you because if Jose is to go in the world of boxing, it will not be about contenderships. It won't be for championships. Now, somebody might pay him a level of money. It will be very small compared to the sum that you think it's going to be. It'll be very small compared to the sum that he probably thinks he could go get right now. But if they bring him in, it's a tremendous if. It's to get beat up. And it doesn't mean that he will. That's the risk that you got to take sometimes. People give you an opportunity. You're the lamb going to slaughter. You're going to bet the house on everything. I can go out and I can beat that guy. I can flip the script. I can run back the clock. No problem. That's our business. But don't make a mistake. That's the only way that somebody will pick up Jose. They will put him in there with a 20-something-year-old who they are very confident is going to go and dispose of him and that they can use and get an ROI and get an investment in the future. Nobody, if, see, fighters don't understand the business side of it. They, they think that tonight... I can sell a bunch of tickets tonight. No, no promoter cares. We're going to start tonight where I'm likely to lose my... What can I do with you after that? Can I go get four more houses out of you? Most of you, the answer is no. But for the one of you that comes along and the answer is yes, off we go and everybody gets fed. I mean, that, that's the way it works. But people don't understand that. And by the way, how would Jose do in boxing? What a great striker. What a great striker, but if there's ever been a great striker who relied on kicks, it's Jose. Right? Edson Barboza, I, I suppose you would throw into that same category, where you've got this tremendous striker, but if you were to take the kicks away, you really would limit him. You really would change him. Like, Jose, although all of his great combinations are finished with a kick, and they are powerful. I still remember the day that I waved to Uriah Faber as they were taking him in a stretcher out the back. After I wasn't waving. It was like this time of more Uriah's on a stretcher 
in his hometown and they're, they're, they're taking him out the back to put him in an ambulance. And Uriah was in a good mood. He was smiling. He was like, hey, what's up? Shelly had his phone. He was sending text messages. Like, you're just not going to get Uriah to have a bad day. But I remember that day. Uriah wasn't on that stretcher because he couldn't walk. His legs were soapy. He felt fine. He felt fine, but his legs no longer work because Jose chopped them for 15 minutes. I mean, if there's ever been a guy that does, with his striking game, rely on the kicks, it's Jose. Of course I believe that he could go box. Of course I recognize that he has good skills. I also know there's not a promoter that's going to pick up an older guy. When you get released and then you think, okay, I got to go test my worth. No, but you just got released. They should have kept that very private. Very, very private. If Dana White, the most known promoter, no longer, right? I mean, do you understand? They should have been very private. We should not know that he was released. We should not know the terms of that agreement. And nobody ever would have fact-checked it or corrected it had they told the story the right way, which is Jose has fallen out his UFC contract. The UFC is banging on the door and they're trying to get us back, but we are going to go test the market. Nobody would have ever corrected that. And that's the way that story should have been told. Switching gears to a guy that many of you think has the potential to be the all-time great Hazmat Chemayev guy. Since his historic weight miss a week and a half ago, there's been a lot of speculation about his future. Allow me to settle this once and for all. Chemayev, is he the number one contender at middleweight? Now, I'm asking you guys. And don't forget what I'm asking you. Okay, I, don't, I don't want you to hear this wrong. I believe a number one contender to be whoever has the match. Islam Makhachev is not ranked number one. In fact, number one is ranked Charles Oliveira. But I'm taking into account that Charles is the champion. But Islam has the match. I believe he's the number one contender. Some of this is self-serving. I was ranked number nine and got a match with John Jones. I thought they should have called me the number one contender. When people did it, it bothered me. So there is a self-serving piece I just want to disclose, but I believed it before that happened to me too. I thought whoever's got the match is the number one contender. I thought that's what it meant. Apparently number one contender means whoever's ranked number one or at least within some of your vernaculars. And the only reason I bring this up is when I ask you, is Chemayev the number one contender? I'm not asking you is his next fight, should he go middle mate for a world championship? I want you to understand that. I'm asking you, do you hold anybody above him? Another way of asking you that is, does Chemayev beat Robert Whitaker if they fight? Chemayev and Robert Whitaker have appeared to buddy up. They talked about doing some training together, and Whitaker quickly accepted. So here we are. That fight isn't going to happen. But do you hold Chemayev in front of Whitaker without the match happening? See, Whitaker's a problem. Whitaker is excellent. And for some reason, that's not recognized. I mean, Yoel Romero can't take the son of a gun down. And he had 10 rounds to do it. Like, Whitaker is special. He really is. I believe if Whitaker was to fight Piera this weekend, Whitaker would be the favorite. I think that. I think that you guys would lean towards Whitaker. But for some reason, he's really not looked at as the top and as the great. And I'm not certain of why. But I'll, I will admit that. 
in case my question that I'm asking you of do you put Chemayev in front of him should they get a match together? I like Chemayev at middleweight. I'm not going to get my way, by the way. I'm not banging this drum hoping to keep the idea alive. The, the idea hasn't even been floated. The idea is mine and mine alone. I know some of you agree with me, but no, I don't have any media backing me up. I don't have anybody within Chemayev's team or camp. I don't have his uncle or one of his parents. Like, nobody is saying that Chemayev is now 185 pounds. And the more that we find out about the weight cut, the more obvious to me it is that he's a 185-pounder. I mean, we're finding out within the weight cut, not only did he go dry, he couldn't speak because his tongue was white, which means it has no spit. It has, it, he's dry. You can no longer speak because your tongue is dry. I mean, I've been there. When you're, when you're at that point, your body is done giving it up. It's, it's pulled it all off of the muscles. But it's now pulling off organs. Your brain, your lungs, your kid, everything has given up its water. And he was still eight pounds overweight to the point that it made him physically ill. He began to dry heave. He had, he had nothing in his stomach to give, but he was doing the motions. He was having the physical reaction of somebody who was vomiting. He was still eight pounds over. Have you guys ever picked up eight pounds? You ever have to carry a case of water in that? Well, a gallon of milk. There you go. Remember the last time you picked up a milk jug? People used to use those for weights, right? This is like a poor man's weight where you get two, two milk jugs and you could do these exercises. I mean, they like sold these in magazines for, for people that didn't have dumbbells. I'm not saying eight pounds is a challenge. I'm not saying you guys couldn't lift up eight pounds 50 times over your head. I'm just sharing with you. Do you remember the last time that you held eight pounds? Because that's how much he was still over. He was a gallon of milk. Over. He's only got three ways to give that up. So if he's going to get down to 170, he's going to have to produce a gallon of milk. He's going to produce that weight. He's only got three ways he can give that up. He can give that up in fat, he can give it up in muscle, or he can give it up in water. His body told us he can't give it up in water. So you're now talking about a guy who's the epitome of health. Not a whole lot of fat on the bone. You're talking about him cannibalizing himself to make weight. You're talking about him burning calories while not consuming them to the point that he has to cannibalize his own body. And I'm the only one saying that's not a good idea. That surprises me. Undefeated at middleweight. Who is it that you see at welterweight that you need him to fight so damn bad? By the way, what is the match that you're just clamoring to see? There isn't one. There isn't one. He's proven that. Gilbert Burns was the first opponent that he had of name, of recognition. And just, just for example, Chemayev's got standing ovations in front of sold-out crowds who are there to see him, regardless of who he takes on. And the idea of Chemayev versus Usman or Chemayev versus Colby, like these, these, these are things that could catch fire, but they're not on fire right now. These aren't burning hot. You're not dying to see either one of those fights. So what is it that we're keeping him at welterweight for? Do you not want to see Chemayev versus Piera or Chemayev versus Whitaker or, or Chemayev versus Paulo Costa? Do you not want to see Paulo, uh, Chemayev versus Paulo Costa more than you want to see any other fight that Chemayev could reasonably have at 170 pounds? 
I mean, a lot of times this is how we'll do the math. Well, where, what weight class? What weight class do I want to see him at? That's when I'll tell you what weight. I don't care about the how comfortable he is. I don't. I don't care about the the vomiting. I don't care about the missed weight cut. I don't care about the gallon example you gave, Chael. Let me tell you where I want to see him fight most. Okay, great. Go ahead and do that. Do you have a fight for Chamayev that he can have at 170 pounds that you want to see more than Chamayev versus Paulo Costa? Let's just play that game. But nobody is, nobody's meeting me in the middle here. This isn't even a dialogue. This isn't even a back and forth. Do you believe that Chamayev in any circumstance could walk into a title fight at 170. Now, you might not think he walks into a title fight either place, but which one do you think is more like? You got to bet on it. You have to bet this is the game, right? Gun to head, as they say. Do you think it's more likely that he walks into a title fight at 170, or do you think it's more likely that he walks right into a title fight against the winner of Pierre or Adesanya at 185? I get that you're probably light on both ideas. I'm asking more. I feel as though every scenario that I've just drawn for you, it tips you towards 185. Yet I'm alone over here. If Chemayev was to go 185, if we were to bribe him, we had to bribe him, we had to sweeten the pot. We were gonna throw in a title fight. Is Chemayev the number one contender at 185 pounds? So the guy that Chemayev was supposed to fight at UFC 279 was, of course, Nate Diaz. Now, there's been a lot of discussion recently about what Diaz's future could have in store, and I want to talk to you guys about it. Nate Diaz came out. He was talking about Jake Paul, talking about boxing him. He said that absolutely, I'm trying to quote here, absolutely is one of the options. Now, I give you those words exact because Nate never plays with us, the audience, ever. He's got the right to. He could be starting it right now, but he never does. And he didn't say, I'm looking to fight Jake Paul. He didn't say, let's see how Jake does with Anderson. He didn't say any of that. He said, absolutely, that's one of the options. Those are his exact words. I believe him. But I'm not focused on Jake Paul. I'm focused on the last word, option I think he has a few things that he's looking at. I don't know what they are. Is there any boxing match you'd like to see for Nate Diaz that isn't Jake Paul? I'd be curious what your answer is. I mean, are we just having fun out there? That's not usually the Nate route. But I, I mean, there's something to this KSI guy. Not for nothing. You can dismiss him all you want. There's something to him. There's something to Logan Paul. I'm not sure why we've necessarily identified Jake exclusively. There's something to the winner of Paul versus Anders. I, I don't know. But Nate said options. He said he's looking at options. I believe him. In that same interview, Nate was talking about his frustrations with MMA. And Nate not ever being happy with anything, by the way, really is an interesting part of a Nate interview. I mean, it really is. I mean, he was talking about MMA and he's having to do everything. He's not wanting to do everything. He was wanting to focus just on boxing. I mean, it's a really interesting thing. Like Nate does his best work when it's Nate versus the world. And even though he was the highest paid guy on the card who came out smelling like roses and is the, the most likely to do a multi-million dollar event 
In his next competition, he's still mad. He's mad about everything, and it's fun. I got to tell you, it's fun for me. It's funny to hear him complain that the UFC was making him do MMA. This is a black belt in jujitsu. He threw up his first arm bar. He threw up his first thousand arm bars be ever, before he ever threw his first punch. But now he's complaining, got to go do grappling in MMA. Right? It's just, it's one of these things. It's one of these really interesting things. And I'm not totally sold on the boxing. I'm not. I think that one of Nate's ideas that he's going to extend into working in this idea of a promotion on his own is grappling. I think he's very much going to look at the one model. One championship will do kickboxing. They'll do MMA. They'll do grappling. Hell, they'll do. They'll combine it within the same match. I think that's what Nate's looking to do. And Nate said that. I mean, I got that idea from him. He said boxing, kickboxing, MMA. He said grappling. I think that Nate versus that you fill in the blank for who his opponent is going to be with boxing, right? Particularly if you're not, if you if you don't say Jake Paul, if you have to go to someone else, it probably would be a step down. I, I think that Nate versus Jake would be the biggest thing, but let's just say you're going to step down. Whatever that answer is, I feel you could do an equal answer if you made it grappling rules. And now you've just opened the world to everybody. Absolutely everybody just, just got open. Because everybody can grapple. They're not going to get hurt. Now you got all sorts of slivers. I realize maybe that's not what you want to see. But we're talking about that theme. We're talking about what ifs. We're talking about trying to guess what a very elusive guy is going to do based on very limited information that we've been given. I believe him that his promotion or wherever he's going is going to encompass multiple disciplines. I also believe him that he is looking at Jake Paul and that he also has options. I believe that. I'm just guessing, I'm just trying to ask you what they would be. What I was promoting, I was doing a grappling match. And I got a call from Din Thomas. And Din Thomas was working with Shaquille O'Neal. He was training Shaquille O'Neal and Shaq wanted to do a match. So it's like, okay. And I found another NBA guy training out in California, plays for the Lakers right now. Do you guys want to grapple? And this was Ben. I'm running it all behind the scenes, right? I'm running past Dana and I'm trying to get the numbers and I'm calling ESPN and seeing what can get on SportsCenter. They were, that was very, they were very interested. Whatever Shaq was going to do, they were very interested. And I told Dean, you know what? If Shaq really wants to compete, I think this, this Laker is probably a really good idea. He's going to be training on the West Coast. You're training on the East Coast. we got a real easy story to tell. Two basketball players, two big guys, two guys that have never done it before. Two guys played for the Laker. We got all, but what about, what if it was George St. Pierre? And, and Dean laughed. Oh, come on. St. Pierre on his first day. I said, but, I said, but yeah, but think about it. If this is for fun, if this is for exposure, we could take the competitive aspect out of it right away. So now it is just for fun. And we could put Shaq in there with George St. Pierre. And Dean said, yeah, I see what you're saying. He said, I, I see what you're saying. We had some further talks, but then I make my calls. I call Dana, I call ESPN. They said, hey, get it. We'll break into Sports Center tonight if you have that signed. And they didn't say that for anything else that we had done. So we will break into Sports Center tonight to announce it's St. Pierre versus Shaquille O'Neal and Submission Underground. So I'm just sharing for you, there are options out there that you haven't considered. Ali Abdelaziz went on record saying the first million by pay-per-view of a grappling match is if we can get St. Pierre versus Khabib. I don't know that that would do a million, but I get Ali's point fully. And what if it was Khabib versus Nate? 
in a grappling match? What if it was St. Pierre versus Nate in a grappling match? I'm sharing for you. There's options out there and we're not seeing them. Something is happening that Nate is very sure of. He has a bird in the hand somewhere. We're not seeing it. How are we missing it? What could it possibly be? Jake Paul in a boxing match is one of the options. That's what he said. And he always tells us straight. So let's just start guessing, just for fun. And I would encourage you, keep grappling on the table. Consider MMA. Of course, consider the boxing. Keep grappling on the table. Think of a big star. Think of a big match. Think about Khabib versus St. Pierre, and you would buy that. You would stop what you were doing. Absolutely, you would. Think about something along these lines. But think about it with one half of that match being Nate Diaz. I'd love to hear what you come up with. So it was a great weekend for combat sports. And in a few minutes, I'll talk to you guys about the World Wrestling Championships. But first, let's discuss Abu Dhabi. Abu Dhabi. Now, I was into this for many reasons. I mean, one, I'm an Abu Dhabi fan. It only comes around once every two years. It's been three years until this one. And I got a buddy, Ricardo, that's very involved. Ricardo even called these matches, but he's very involved behind the scenes. And you're not going to like Ricardo at first because he's a know-it-all. He knows all the moves. He knows all the guys. He knows what the outcome is going to be before it happens. But then when you get to know him, you realize, oh, he knows it all. Like, like, wait a minute, this, this guy is an incredible source, so he's out there commentating the matches. And I do turn in partly because I want to see how he does. I want to watch how he presents it, and then I want to send him tweets. I want to send him text messages, rather. Okay. But you got a main event. They call it a super fight. And it's going to be Gordon Ryan against Andre Gavau. Now, the problem that the community is going to have with Gordon, if Gordon wins, is Gordon is going to come out and let you know that he won. If Gordon proves to be the best, he's going to let you all know that he's the best. And Gordon has a different style of jiu-jitsu. It's one thing that a lot of people, even within the community, don't want to admit. And a lot of coaches and trainers are not taking what Gordon does and bringing it to their gyms and recognizing him as a new wave. They're not doing that because they disagree. And they're not not doing that because Gordon hasn't proven that it works. They're not doing that because they don't know what it is that he's doing. You want to talk about secret techniques? Secret techniques and, and the guy that could sell magazines for that and books and videos, that went out in the 90s. That was a real thing. You think that a guy knows a move. You might even meet a guy and learn a secret, but then you go, go do it to all your buddies. But once social media came out and videos came out and the media started becoming high, you get some cameras on some stuff, you break it down in your living room a little bit, there was just no more secret techniques. Gordon has them, truly. Gordon has a system, and he gives all the credit to John Danaher. I'm not taking it from him, but Gordon's the one out uh, putting it on display. Now, Gordon is going to go, before he takes on Andre Gavau, he's going to go through the tournament. The tournament, if it goes the way that the odds makers think, is going to put Gordon in the finals. What happens there? You get Pena, you get some other stud, who knows? But it's going to wear him down. And Gordon ends up in the finals. And he hasn't had to work all that hard. He's been pretty dominant. He got more minutes in than some people predicted. But he hasn't had to work all that hard. 
he gets into the finals against Nicky Rudd. Now, Nicky Rudd is his own teammate, his old teammate. On Nicky Rudd's first day of training, Gordon was there. Nicky Rudd likely joined the gym that he joined because of Gordon. All right, Gordon's his hero. There's no way around that. Gordon was his captain. Gordon was his mentor. But the team split up. And now Nicky Rod's standing on his own, and they're in the finals for the world championship. Nicky knows Gordon. Whether he looks up to him and there's a mental block or not, he physically knows him. Nicky's going to push him. This is going to be hard, and that's a problem. It's a problem because if Gordon drains that battery down, he's got Galvo later on. It's part of the story. Gordon and Nicky go out there. Two minutes and 15 seconds later, the king is re-wearing his crown with another world championship and a pocket full of money. That's how uh, Gordon got rid of him in two minutes and 15 seconds. He's showing how great he is. Now he draws into Andre. Now, the X's and O's of what happened are not the story of Gordon Ryan. The fact that Abu Dhabi used to take place in Abu Dhabi in front of nobody. I went in 2001. We had a beautiful building. Bruce Buffer came out and was introducing people. It's a who's who in the back. The competition's real. The gentleman who put it on and two of his friends sat up towards the top. He watched with binoculars. When I tell you there was nobody there, we were in a big arena, guys. We were in a small back room. Could have done this in a garage. We didn't do it. We did it in a full arena. But there was no tickets for sale. Nobody was invited. The gentleman who put it on wanted to see it. He put it on for himself and apparently a, a buddy on either side of him. Bruce Buffer's out there announcing to an empty room. They went from that, okay, to a sold-out UNLV. It was amazing. And they brought in the production, Seth and Mo and the guys behind the scenes. I mean, this was the single greatest grappling event ever put on. You've heard me say that before. But when I've said it before, it was true. It just, it just got beat. Abu Dhabi, over the weekend, is the single greatest production and grappling event ever put on. Gordon never flinched. There was little stuff. There was face-offs. Gordon comes and does the face-off. He doesn't have a shirt on. I know that's simple. In the world of grappling, that is the most salacious, disrespectful piece of entertainment that you're going to get. Everything that Gordon did, every time he walked to the ring, every time he walked off the ring, and every word that came out of his mouth was salacious. It's what the sport deems disrespectful. And I will also tell you the greatest entertainment that you're going to get. Abu Dhabi is a two-day tournament. Straight line bracket. There is no politics. It is a straight line bracket, exactly like the NCAA, exactly like the NFL playoffs, exactly like the Olympic Games. You advance and you stand and you win and are recognized for your skill and nothing else. Gordon didn't have to bring anything else. He chose to. Two-day tournament. Best guys in the world. They interview Gordon after the first day. He talks about the two matches he had. Then he talks about what he's going to have to do tomorrow. Probably going to have Pena in the finals. Got to take on so-and-so in the semis in the morning. And I'll have Andre in the evening. It's a couple of pretty easy days. Once I get through these rest days, I can get back home. Get in the gym with my team. Do some real grappling. That's fire. Like, I wish I would have written that line. I wish I would have written that and fed that to Gordon. I was so impressed. 
So Gordon goes out there. Now, this is a big deal, okay? If Gordon's going to go run through the tournament, then he's going to take the torch away from Andre. Any kind of a pushback of the community not wanting to have to fully embrace that we're going to have to learn his skills. What Gordon is doing below the waist, okay, above the waist he's very good, but below the waist, it's unique to him and his team. No one knows what, I'm a black belt. I have a really good sense of what he's looking for. I don't know what he's doing. I haven't seen it before. I haven't had that broken down for me. I've never drilled it. Just by example, when I tell you that it's new, when I tell you it's cutting edge, when I tell you it's innovative, those are the strongest words that I knew. If I knew stronger words, I'd use them instead. It's awesome. But if Gordon does do this and he succeeds, the guy who's cutting promos, the guy who's walking around with crowns, the guy who's showing up to face-offs with a shirt off, the guy that's calling the Abu Dhabi tournament rest days, there's going to be no more denying him. There's going to be, you're, you're stuck, right? You are going to be in a jam where you're going to have to now embrace him. And this has been coming. Like, this isn't anything that people didn't... This train's been coming down the tracks for a while. It's just now done. He finished them all. He whipped everybody. Two minutes and 15 seconds, he was out of there in the world finals. Roughly an hour later, he took on the super fight champion just to clear up any doubts. And that match ended in a submission, but that match was over. That match was never competitive. There were scores being put on the board. There was points that were net. You, you could have stopped that match three minutes in. And I go over the sport of wrestling. You guys will be familiar with something. They do it in baseball, but it's called the mercy rule. If one team gets ahead by X amount of points, they'll stop the game. They don't want to rub any kid's face in it. They don't want any coaches to be embarrassed. They don't want anybody to get discouraged with the game. They'll just stop the game. Call it mercy, but... The point is proven. We also have that in wrestling. It's 15 points. It's hard to get to. You can do it, and if somebody does, they'll stop them. It's throwing a mercy rule. They don't have that in jujitsu, but you could have stopped that match three minutes, and the point was proven. We all showed up to see who was better. Is the old style of jujitsu the one that I know, the one that I learned, the one that I believe in? Can it compete with this new age stuff? that Gordon is putting on display and only the Dan or her death squad understands? That's the question. And that is a massive question. You are going to have waves and ripples that are going to go through the community. You guys probably don't know anybody that did Abu Dhabi. I mean, just on a personal level, you, you probably don't know anybody that did Abu Dhabi. You probably never considered doing it yourself, but you probably have considered taking jujitsu classes. And moreover, you know where they are. You know where a local gym is. I'm in a small town, 48,000 people. We have five jujitsu gyms. And I think you guys can relate to that. And that's what we call a grassroots level. The ripple and wave that Gordon has sent through the community will touch the grassroots level. Coaches and techniques and practices are going to have to be redesigned to deal with. Now, you can choose if it's going to be offensive, you're going to go out and try to learn what Gordon's doing. Or you can choose if it's going to be defensive and you're just going to try to stop him. But this is what was on the line. I mean, make no mistake. They called it a changing of the guard, that it went from Andre to Gordon. No, 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 it's It's much more than that. It's much more than that. This was about specific principles, fundamentals, ideas and techniques. That's what this was about.
And many people knew that Gordon could win this. They even thought he might. But you hang on. You wait till the absolute last minute before you got to go change your way of life. It's now proven. That's what this was about. And Gordon never flinched on his confidence. You know, people want to talk to you about confidence. Confidence is a bunch of crap, just so you understand. You must believe in yourself. No, you don't. I mean, I'll just tell you firsthand, you don't. Firsthand, best performances I've had were the ones I was most unsure about. Fear is a wonderful motivator, but we can set that aside. Gordon does have the confidence, and it shows, and he doesn't flinch, and he doesn't break, and he does not break character. And it is anyone, anywhere, anytime. And just so we're perfectly clear, he was not kidding about the call-out of Philippe. Just so we're clear that we understood the show correctly. That was not a joke. That was not for a headline. Kenny Florin let it go and possibly was even told in his earpiece, don't follow up on this. But so you understand, Gordon thought Philippe was going to stand up and walk out there. And Gordon would have taken the belt off and taken to the mat. It wasn't a joke. Now, you do what you want with that. You think what you want. I just want to make sure that the story's told the right way. They went in another direction. They acted as though this was theater. Gordon thought he was going to have a match. I don't know where Philippe was. I don't know why he didn't walk on the mat. Could have perfectly good reason. But if we're going to tell the story and we're going to tell it accurately, I just did. Let's talk wrestling. So, World Championships goes down over the weekend. And I'm trying to think of where to jump in on this story because the wrestling community is extremely hard to get recognition. It's extremely hard to look at a real motivation and something that you can tell a kid. Aspire to do because you can end up with that. That's easy in the NFL. You got a pot full of money. Go talk about your problem somewhere else. Right? I mean, but you understand that. The NBA, you understand those things. In wrestling, it's difficult. And I say this as a wrestler. I say this as a wrestling coach. I say this as a father of a young man who's an aspiring wrestler. So, but it is true that it's one of these things. Look, if you come in in the top 25 in this country in football, in Division One. so now I've limited it. Not not all, it has to be Division One, which comes with very specific rules. And your top 25, they will recognize you and they will put you in Sports Illustrated. You will make a bunch of money. If you're a top 20 team, oh my goodness. If you're a top 10 team, I mean, that coach's job is safe for many, many years. In wrestling, you must be top three, one time a year, world championships, or you did. it's like you didn't even go. If you come in fourth or fifth in the world, you could be top 25 in this country in a specific division in football and be recognized. I mean, it's very different. On all of earth, they will scour it for 365 days till they come to a tournament where they, by that time, they've limited it to X amount of guys. Straight line bracket, you got to take on four or five of the baddest dudes in the world, one after the next. And if you don't come in with a medal, gold, silver, bronze, it's like it never happened. It will be looked at as a fail. I mean, that's tough. Ooh, that's tough. Then we make it harder. So once we get to what I just said, which is the most cutthroat and competitive rules, of any sport in the world. We also have what's known as Olympic weight classes. Now, Olympic weight classes, without telling you them, is six. 
There's six weight classes. So every four years, there's only six opportunities, right? That's tough. But this is the way it is. In non-Olympic year, you have what's called the World Championships. Now, that's the same tournament. That's the same process. Everything's the same, but every fourth year, it's called the Olympics, just so you understand. Same prize, same guy, same honor. But there's nine. There's nine weight classes in world weight. Where I'm talking about wrestling makes it hard to get recognition. We, even as a wrestling community, if you win the world championship, but it's not in an Olympic weight, it's not the same thing. That is unfair. That is a bunch of crap to the highest level. But I'm telling you, this perception exists. Not with me, but that perception does exist. So, there's always a ton of fun that you can have, right? Thomas Gilman, we knew, is one of the best guys in the world. We knew that because last year alone, he brought home an Olympic medal and a world championship, right? I mean, he's one of the best guys, but he makes it to the finals. He's got a Russian. Now, the Russians and the Belarusians are banned from sport right now. They can't get into tennis. They can't, right? They're just banned for political reasons. You've probably heard that. But the Russians can also trade passports. And the way that you get into the Olympic Games or World Championship is you have a government passport. If a government will issue you a passport, you can go. There was, there was a gymnast from China who cheated. Gymnastics, you must be 14 to enter. I'm going back in time, but I'm just trying to prove this point. You must be 14, nobody younger. She was under 14. 12, Ryan? 12? 16. You have to turn 16 in the Olympic year. You, mu you must be 16 in Olympic year. But this is relevant, guys. This is worth the interruption. I want you to hear this. You must be turning 16 within Olympic year or you're too young to go. Now, in gymnastics, that's not always true as far as who's best. A lot of times, it is somebody a little bit younger. But it's still the rules. A girl entered the Olympics, oh, and by the way, won it, who was very visibly not 16. This got called out. This got challenged, and this went all the way to the IOC, who said, we're well aware that she's not 16, we knew she wasn't 16, and we don't dispute that she's 16, but our rules say, if you have a government-issued passport that says you're 16, it's okay. Now, that's the letter of the law, which is not the intent of the law, they allowed it. The games were already done. She already had the gold medal, but she also won a, a, enough points that it won a team championship. It, it was very swaying, but, but now we found something out. We found something out that even though the spirit is you must be 60, you just have to have a passport that says it. So when I tell you that Gilman runs into a Russian, it's very relevant. He traded a passport, but Albania printed one. Off he goes. He ends up beating Gilman. Now you have Seth Gross. Now Seth Gross might be the most fun wrestler to watch. Like, in many years, Seth is going to score a whole bunch of points. The bad news for Seth, he's going to give up a whole bunch of points. To see a 14-11 to 11 Seth, Seth Gross match would be nothing out of the ordinary. And Seth's one of these guys in the weight class of 133. We don't know what's going to happen. Seth wasn't ranked. He wasn't seated. But he beat the world silver medalist in Dayton Fix just to get there. So we know he can do <clears throat> we know he can do it. Has a wonderful tournament. Makes the semifinals, getting upsets, doesn't go his way.
comes back to wrestle for the bronze, doesn't go his way, so he's officially fifth. Now, top 25 in this country gets you celebrated for football in Sports Illustrated. Seth Gross, who's fifth on earth, not just the national sport, by the way, on earth, has to go and hang his head today. It's the way, it's the way it goes. How awful is that? Yanni goes out there. And Yanni had a very favorable match in the semifinals. A very tough guy, but a very favorable match. But to get to the semifinals, he went through Murderer's Row. Three medalists, including a silver medalist. Yanni beat them all. He teched them. He teched a former world silver medalist. Yanni gets to the semifinals. And when I say it was a favorable match, I guess I, I, I should expand on that with Sebastian Rivera. It was a guy that Yanni knew. You're in the world championships. You don't know the guy. You can't pronounce his name. You've never seen. You don't know what he's going to do. Favorable in that Yanni, Sebastian Rivera is nobody's fool. I didn't mean to make it sound like that. But Yanni at least was familiar with the guy, right? The mask is off. Yanni goes out. He texts him too. So now Yanni's in the finals, which guarantees us a medal. And to guarantee us a medal at 145 and a half pounds, which is the hardest weight class year in and year out, is something that we haven't done. That was Bill Zadick the last one, guys. Was Bill Zadick the last one, 2006? That can't be right. Zadick steps aside. Jamil came in. No, he did not. Jamil was 2004. Yeah, it might have been all the way to Zadick. It might have been all the way to Zadick, and I might have to correct that. Yanni makes the finals. He's guaranteed a medal. He ends up out there with an Iranian who's 20 years old. Now, the age is relevant because Yanni is boy wonder. We're seeing if Yanni can win an overall championship, but we're very confident that if you put him in an age group, you put him with guys his own age, he out there beating the men. If you put him out there with someone his age, we're not going to have a problem. Well, all of a sudden we're in that spot and we had a problem. I don't agree with the match. And while Yanni lost that match, and some people are going to look at the Iranian and go, he's 20 years old, you're going to see him forever, you might as well stop now, your dreams are never going to come true. Excuse me, Yanni could have teched that young man in 15 seconds, and might have. Feet to back is very clear, it's four points. I mean, that rule is very clear. Did you go from your feet to your back? If so, it's four points. Yanni did that to him twice. Then rolled him through two more times, that's 12 points. Now, the referees, and there's three of them, score that four to two. Two, I know Yanni has eight points because he did a feet to back twice. I know that's eight points. And the two roll throughs, are we going two, two, or are we giving credit to the other guy? Because you could argue that per the rules of wrestling. It's not what I saw, but you could argue it. They gave Yanni four points in total. I think he's got 12, potential for 12, and I know that he has eight. They give him four points. So they work this whole thing out. They go back and forth. They decide that the score is eight to six which is not, per the rules of, not even an option. If you took 10 wrestling experts and they all turned in a scorecard, and by the way, I'm doing this. I'm texting Aaron Simpson, I'm texting Ben Askren. Ben Askren was the closest with the score. I, Yanni could have had 12 points. I know he's got eight. I know that from the feet to back. What I'm sharing with you, if you had 10 experts and we all turned it in, what the referees came back with of eight to six would not have been turned in by any expert, but this is where we're at. This is where we're at. We're at we're at eight to six, which is the same thing as four to two. Right before we ever argued or protest this, we're in the same exact position. Took a guy feet to back, rolled him through two more times on top of that. We got a two point spread. 
I'm, I'm only sharing that with you because while it should have been eight to two or eight to four, while it should have been, it could have been 12 0. It could have. Yanni wins 15 seconds in by Techfall. You would believe that Yanni is the most dominant wrestler in the history of Earth. Everybody that he teched, including in the finals, 15 seconds. I mean, I'm just sharing with you. Now, this match ended up being very different. The Iranian ran, ran him down. Ends up scoring a bunch of points, and it was around 14 to 8. Yanni brings home the silver medal, but he breaks the curse. But before you think that somewhere along the way, the path is over for Yanni, boy, you better go rewatch that match. And if you don't like how I scored it, that it could have been 12. I'm not saying it was 12 to 0. I'm saying it was 8 to 2. If you want to tell me that it's 8 to 4, if I get outvoted and it's 8 to 4, I'll take it. I'm not going to like it. I'll take it. 8 to 6? This is garbage. And it could have been, right? I mean, you just, just want to know what it could have been. Move up to Kyle Dake. Now, Dake's got a big problem. Dake's big problem is he's got two guys, both he wants to get his hands on. He's let the whole world he wants to know, uh, he wants to get his hands on these guys. One's from Russia, one's from Belarusia. The two countries that don't get to participate. If Dake comes home with a gold medal, he did what he was expected to do. That is a problem. That's a tough spot to put any young man in. That is, that is unfair beyond explanation. It was a spot that he found himself. And he had another rival within the weight name, uh, Chimizo, but they ended up not meeting up. So Dake goes on, does what he was expected to do. But he looked great doing it. He hit the Dake bombs. His, his conditioning held up his defense above everything else. Above everything else, it was Dake's defense. Dake's scoring output gets let. The more these guys study him, the harder it is for anybody to score. But he won't let them score on him. Four time, four time, four time, four time world champion. And now you move up to the king, Jordan Burroughs in the flesh. The best wrestler in the world. If you were to ask anybody whose opinion gets to matter in wrestling, the best wrestler in the history of the world is a young man from Dell City, Oklahoma, named John Wesley Smith. And you will unanimously be told that John Smith is the answer. John Smith won six world championships, but he did it in a row. Jordan Burroughs is now a seven-time champion. Oh, did I mention he's also got bronze medals, plural. But John did it in a row. I'm bringing that to you guys because do you care? Is a seven-time world champion better than a six-time champion. It seems like a pretty straightforward question, right? If, I, if I'm going to hand you one of these guys' career, would you rather be a seven-time champion or would you rather be six? If you have the ability to pass one of those careers on to your son, would you like your son to be a six-time champion or would you like him to have seven? It's pretty straightforward. But it's not in wrestling. Six in a row versus seven. Right. My whole point here is how unfair wrestling is. And I'm part of the community that makes the rules. Pretty crappy thing that we're doing. It's a pretty crappy thing that we're doing to people. And Jordan Burroughs, when I do talk about the Russian and the Belarusian, by the way, was not in a weight class where that was affected. The Persian was the hardest one for the American. And they met up in the finals. And Jordan beat him last year 5-0 and is a little bit tighter this year. And Jordan beat him again. 
Jordan Burroughs is something else. I think he's the best. I think he's the second best athlete alive, and that could change. I have Simone Biles at number one. The best athlete breathing God's air today is Simone Biles. Number two is Jordan Burroughs, but that could change. That could change. Let, let, let's see how that plays out, and let's move up a weight class to David Taylor. Now, I was able to bring you guys David Taylor's match live. I was here when the match was going on, and I told my partner, Ryan, I'm not working today. I'm not coming. He said, what? Chill. What do you mean? So I got to watch David Taylor wrestle World Championship. He goes, hey, I'll meet you in the middle. Come down to the studio. I'll throw it up on the big screen. You can talk about it as you watch it. So we did. So I feel like you guys know about Taylor's match. But one thing that Taylor did do that he hasn't done before is he out-wrestled Yastani. He's beaten Yazdani many times. I'm talking about out-wrestle him. David has out-toughed him. He's out-grinded him. He's out-gritted him. He's out-fought him. I, with my eyes, this is one guy's opinion, but I haven't seen David Taylor out-wrestle him. Move for move and hold for hold. I have thought that Yazdani looked better. I thought he looked better. I don't really care who's better. I, I do care who's tougher. I care who has more points. I, David Taylor, whole thing, David Taylor. But the first time ever, David Taylor out wrestling, he proved that he understands the sport better than Yazdani, and I think that's a big deal. You move up to Cox. Now, Cox is a very complicated one for me. He's, it's very complicated because this is the best wrestler on earth. Who's proven it? Has Dake proven it, guys? Has Dake proven it for you For you that want to call me out? Okay, okay. Cox beat Dake. Go see the trials in 60. Oh, did David Taylor prove it to you guys? Okay, great. Go go see the trials in 2017 where Cox beat Taylor twice in one. Cox has proven he's the best. The problem that Cox has ran into is at what weight class do I do it? Do I go to 86 and take on Taylor, who I've successfully beaten before, or do I go to 97 and take on Snyder, who I have not, at least of recent, shown the success with? What do I do? Because it's not just where I can win. I also care what you guys think. And if I have two paths and I take the one of least resistance, you aren't going to give me credit in a sport that doesn't give out credit anyway. Which means Cox is going to go up to 97. So when Cox is wrestling at 92, and I'm talking about kilograms here, but when he's doing it, not only is it a field that isn't the same field, he's forcing his physiology and his body at a weight class that he isn't going to contest. Not in Paris in 24. So Cox is in a very tough spot. Now he wrestled fantastic. He's got an Iranian who studied him up and down. Iranian gave us problems last year. Iranian gave us problems this year. Fine. Fine. That's why we go out then have the match. Then you come to Captain America. Now, Captain America, Kyle Snyder, in the world finals, won seven to nothing. I don't care as much about the seven. Six nothing. I care about what the opponent had, which is zero. The absolute second best guy on earth, the absolute second best guy in the competition couldn't score a point. In six minutes. You tell me the last time that Serena went six minutes and didn't give up a point. You tell me the last time that Michael Jordan played six minutes and didn't give up a point. It is unheard of. In boxing and MMA, they'll make you give up a point. 
10-9 after every fight. He went six minutes. Didn't give up a point. It was, it, it was truly unbelievable. Truly. Almost hard to even present to you guys in work. Kyle Schneider is a thing of folklore. He's the thing that you've heard about, but it was in the 1700s. There's no one alive. There was no books written. There's no photographs. There was no video. So you hear of these guys that once existed. Kyle Schneider's doing it right now. And there are books and there are videos. And there is proof. Absolutely unbelievable. Kyle Schneider could have three Olympics left in him, just so you understand. He's already been to two. He could have three left in him. So in this story, in, the, in this book of the greats ever, Varner was in Schneider's corner, which is a very big deal. Varner, who was beat out by Schneider. Varner was defending Olympic champion. Schneider beats, beats him out, takes him off the spot, goes and wins the Olympic gold medal himself. Varner is now mentoring Schneider. And it reminded me of when Dave Schultz started looking after Kenny Monday. Same spot. They ran out. They were rivals. One guy took his dream away. They decided to work together. When Kevin Jackson started working with Les Gutches, we didn't get to see it as much, but when Terry Brands became the coach of Kendall Cross, that one, I wish that would have played out a little bit longer. I'm still going to throw the example in. And I don't think you could see that in any community except ours. And then you move up to heavyweight, which has Zilmer. Now, Zilmer was not seated. Zilmer was not ranked. But Zilmer also wasn't supposed to be there. Zilmer took out a two-times bronze medalist just to get on the spot. And Zilmer's in the practice room every day with the defending Olympic gold medalist, Gable Stevenson. So you don't know what you're going to get from Zilmer. I mean, this could be the dark horse of the, of the whole tournament. And quite frankly, he looked great. Did an awesome job. Ended up with a placing. Didn't end up with a medal. But that was the team. The team was then being represented, right? Like, like Joe Russell is never going to get the credit. I'm from Oregon where, where Joe Russell is royalty. But on a national and on a world stage, if you go and look at what he did, if you go and look at the success that Joe Russell had as an assistant at Minnesota, it will make your jaw drop. If you go and look at the success that Joe Russell has had on the international stage, but he does it as an assistant, it'll make your jaw drop. And he doesn't get credit. You just don't get this light shined on you. You just don't. It goes that way. You go and look at what Zadik has done for us. It's absolutely unbelievable. He did get recognized. World champions, number one. You go and look at what uh, the, the Sanderson boys and what they're kicking in, what, what Cunningham. You go and look at what Kevin Jackson has given back to this sport, right? It's one thing to win a world championship. It's a whole other thing to coach a guy to a world championship. Jackson's done both. And then you go look at Rich Bender. Rich Bender is a made man. When wrestling was cut in 2016, a lot of people kicked in, but Rich Bender's the one that saved wrestling. He's never, he's never gotten his spotlight, but when Rich Bender goes on a world stage and represents us all, Rich Bender's the right guy. He goes out and he makes America and American wrestling look great. And that is my recap of this year's World Championship. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And one more time, I just want to remind you, the podcast is now going to come out on Tuesdays and Fridays. So tell your friends, spread the word on social media, whatever you got to do, then come back on Friday for more. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.